So, you want to be an orthopedic surgeon. Lucky for you, you've come to the right place to learn all about the intricacies comprising the field of orthopedic medicine. We've got an entertaining episode ahead, and I hope that you enjoy it. Let's dive right in. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of So You Want to Be an Orthopedic Surgeon, I'm with Dr. Matthew Pfeiffer, who is an orthopedic surgeon specializing in shoulders and knees in the Santa Barbara area. Dr. Pfeiffer originally began his educational journey at Ashland University in Ohio, where he was a football scholarship athlete while studying molecular and cellular biology concurrently. Once his football career was over, Dr. Pfeiffer went on to obtain his Doctor of Medicine degree from Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. After discovering a passion for orthopedic medicine, Dr. Pfeiffer then completed his orthopedic surgical residency at Oakland University in Michigan. To round out his educational journey, he then pursued a fellowship focusing on minimally invasive shoulder surgery at Kaiser in San Diego. Dr. Pfeiffer is a brilliant surgeon who I've actually gotten a first-hand glimpse of how he practices as an orthopedic surgeon. He is very kind and he helped me get into the best shape possible as I could be in for my damaged shoulders. He is one of the inspirations for my personal journey in orthopedics and I just want to thank you for joining me today and you can introduce yourself, Dr. Pfeiffer, to my listeners. Josh, well, uh, it's awesome to be here talking with you. Uh, you know, I'm passionate about this and educating other people, and uh, it's fun to talk orthopedic surgery. So it's good to be here, man. Exactly. So our first category is going to deal with your medical school journey. So I want to ask you, how did you figure out being a football player? You're in your undergrad. How did you figure out that you wanted to go to medical school? Uh, was there a specific class that you really liked? Or was there a specific professor that got you interested in medicine? What was your initial inspiration to become an orthopedic surgeon? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think we all find this in life that we think we're going to do one thing and we go elsewhere. And I always say kind of sometimes the journey finds you. So I actually started undergrad as a forensic toxicology major because I thought CSI was cool and I could fight bad guys by doing chemistry and then I realized that it's a lot of being a lab rat so I got out of that quick uh, and I got a chemistry major in three years but I had two years left because I uh, redshirted in football and that's when I really honed in on like molecular cellular biology and more like medicine biology based classes um, and then coming out of undergrad it just kind of found me where I really gravitated more to like I interest would be sparked up with medicine, like how this pathology is treated as far as the disease. So it got a little more medical and clinical as far as what I liked and what I was drawn to. And that's what I would like research or do projects on. So um, I still didn't know I wanted to do orthopedic surgery coming out of undergrad, but I definitely knew that I wanted to do medical school just based on those interests. So that's kind of how I decided to go into med school versus on other subset of science in a sense. Yeah, definitely. Were there any role models or any influential people that you think about that comes to mind when you think, wow, when I went through medical school, you know, you have good times, I'm sure, and you have bad times. I know that there can be some difficulty because medical school is one of, notorious for being one of the hardest graduate programs that you can pursue. Mm-hmm. What? Who did you rely on? You know, what, what, what did you... What did you go, who did you go to or or what did you go to for that help while in med school? Um, Yeah, and you you hit the nail on the head. It's it's extremely intense. Essentially, I remember a professor saying, 
um, you're going to take a graduate level class for like a PhD and then you're going to cram it into one month and you got to learn it in addition to the other classes you're doing. So it is intense. Um, I kind of found, um, as we all do, like groups of people that we just get along with and are kind of like-minded. Um, so I had a good core group of friends that I would study with and obviously blow off steam with so you didn't burn out because, you know, if you, you go that hardcore and you don't have time to blow off steam as well, you're just going to burn out. So that's not a good thing. As far as like kind of role models and people I looked up to, I just time my personality is more of a surgeon. I want to fix something and I want to get something the patient or whoever to, to be better. So I just found that my personality and the way I viewed medicine was definitely more surgical where there's a problem, it can be fixed mechanically or surgery, and then typically the patients do better for the most part. So it was overall probably more the surgical faculty. And then out of all subsets, um, each subset of medicine kind of has stereotypes, um, you know, Academics tend to be more internal medicine and then even surgical subspecialties and being the, the former athlete back in the day um, before medicine, um, a lot of athletes tend to go into orthopedics because it deals with sports related injuries. Uh, so that's kind of like, you know, where I kind of found an association there. I initially thought I was going to do plastic surgery because I was actually a little bit of an artsy background. But then I found out that I still, uh, even with plastics, found orthopedics to be much more mechanical. You get to use, you know, like saws and drills and really cool technology. Um, so that's kind of where I gravitated. Excellent. Yeah. Transitioning into your daily career. So you made it through med school and residency and your fellowship. I want to know what a day in your life looks like. I know that there are a lot of students that could potentially be interested in orthopedics and you know you are an orthopedic surgeon so i just want to hear if there was one aspect of the job to highlight and if there's one aspect of the job to criticize what would it be yeah so a great question as all your questions of course are awesome for insight um i think i would define it as day-to-day -day, almost i'd say a week in my life a third of it is surgery, and that's the best part. Like, that is the game time. That's why you work hard. That's why you see patients is to actually game time get in there and fix people, and that's fun, okay? Like, if, if you're a surgeon, if you could do that 90 to 100% of the time, that's like pure bliss. But in all reality, surgery is about a third of the efforts you put in per week. And it can also be stressful, but it can also be routine. It just depends on the day. The other third is patient care. And this is when you're in the office and you're seeing a bunch of patients and everyone's, you know, they come in, they tell you what's going on. And essentially at this point, I, I consider it like you're a detective where someone comes in and they have a problem and you have to find all the clues or all the pieces of the puzzle to create the best picture possible so you know how to treat them. And that's almost like, you know, detective work, you have clues of this physical exam finding or what they tell you, and then you get clues with MRIs or labs or whatnot. So that's kind of like the detective work. And then the other third, which unfortunately over the course of the years is I think getting bigger and bigger and the most pain in the butt for us is all the paperwork, dealing with insurances, uh, electronic medical records, um, and all the extra things that really contribute to, God, I really just don't want to do this or deal with this. And 
just speaking of people in the past, you know, the percentage of this was much lower and because of insurances and how they manage healthcare and electronic medical records, uh, decreasing reimbursements and time constraints and increased inflation, this third is actually what stresses the most of us out and the reason why the burnout rate is getting higher and higher essentially. So that's kind of like how I would divide up what it is to be an orthopedic surgeon at this point. That that was great insight. I want to start with the bad news there. So I'm a medical assistant as well, and I can definitely speak to trying to get insurance authorizations, trying to communicate with them, dealing with all of this paperwork. And it can be a pain. It can be a drag because you have a patient sometimes they're in a lot of pain and you just want them to get some imaging and it's like impossible to get because you just have to check all of these boxes with insurance. I just want to ask you, I know you're a private practice surgeon. And I know that there's been a shift away from that towards more conglomerate hospital, you know, surgery practices, stuff like that. You know, you join a Kaiser, you join a big, a company like that. Uh, I want to be a private orthopedic surgeon, but I want to hear your opinions on if that is going away because of insurance or or what, how do you envision in like 30 years that most orthopedic surgeons are going to be practicing under? Yeah, that's a really great question because Essentially, when you're coming out and you're looking for your, a job right now, you have to decide if you're going to become a private practice physician or if you become an employee. And essentially, when you're in an employee situation, you don't have to worry about a lot of those stressors that a private practice guy does. So that's an upside to that. The downside is sometimes financially there's caps, you know, you're, you're an employee. So there's ways to like work hard to get, you know, more income, but it's not as much of a business and you're kind of more of a cog in the wheel. You don't have as much freedom or as much say within your practice or you want to do private practice. There's more stress, but in my view, there's more reward because you control the business side of things you can control how hard or how not hard you want to work and you just have more control. Now the downside is insurance are reimbursing less and less within the last 20 years, specifically for what orthopedic surgeons do. If you look at the cost of inflation versus what we're getting reimbursed, we've actually went down 30% of we're getting paid over the last 30 years. Now the inflation's going up. So at some point it's going to, make it so we can't even make enough money to pay our employees, let alone feed our own families or pay off our med student loans and live in places. So a lot of people are trying to, because of that, going to W-2. Now a new sector, which I don't know if you've heard about this yet, is if it's run correctly, orthopedics is one of the better reimbursed specialties. So private equity firms are now buying orthopedic surgical private practices. So in 15 years from now, I think when you're coming out, there's going to be very few private practices left, unless they're like uber efficient. The majority is, do I go into a private equity, private practice firm that's run by a private equity group? And essentially it's a giant super group across the country. that's a little bit more like private practice, or do you go into a W2 kind of academic position? So that's what I think is going to happen. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that was great insight. I did not know about the private equity practice 
And I think that's an important point to make to my listeners is that you might look online, you might see, oh, wow, orthopedic surgeons, they get paid more than any other specialty. But I just want to emphasize that medicine should be gone into because you really enjoy what you're doing and you've to- you've toiled with uh, with what orthopedic surgeons do on a daily basis. And that's kind of why I want to give you guys this podcast is to give you some insight on what Dr. Pfeiffer does on a daily basis. And I just wanted to make that point clear. Yeah, I tell everyone if you're looking to make money, go be a, go into the business, get your MBA and become private equity firm and run one of those. Or <laughs> exactly. Don't ever go into medicine for money. It's not where you're going to find it, but you can find happiness there if it's your passion. Exactly. Yeah. So now to the good news of what you said. <laughs> I want to hear about surgery. I know I've shadowed Dr. Pfeiffer. I've shadowed a couple of other surgeons. Uh, and surgery is... Uh, you have to love surgery in order to be an orthopedic surgeon. That's just, it's in the job title. So I want to hear, Dr. Pfeiffer, I want to hear about the experience of operating on someone. You know, how was your first time, for instance? You know, what was that feeling? Because I know it can be a daunting task for anyone who wants to be a surgeon because you have someone there and, and you're operating on them and you're trying to fix them. So you have, you want to do a good job. And obviously now you're really experienced, but what was that first initial time like and how is it for you now? Yeah. So great question. So it's never, there's never a first time where all of a sudden you're like dropped on and go. It's essentially what happens in training and orthopedics residency is five years, right? So that's five years to become a general orthopedic surgeon. So you kind of know a little bit about everything orthopedic wise and then fellowship is another year of subspecialization. So really how it happens is it's you get little pieces of the pie as you go. So the first time you kind of get in an OR, you watch the attending, you know, you talk with the attending, they start quizzing you. They're like, okay, this guy kind of knows what he's talking about. Maybe I'll let him close the incision. So you get to stitch it first. And then say you're doing, you know, your sports rotation and then they'll be like, okay, here's a really benign part of the surgery. You know, I've already went into the shoulder of the knee. Now let you drive the camera around, but then they take it back. And then the more you kind of build these little pieces of the puzzle or here, you can drop this anchor. I'm going to do the next one. You do this. I'll do that. And the more they gain your trust and the better you do, the faster you get to complete more of the puzzle every time. So that's just how the structure of a surgical residency is. So by the time you're done, they should have enough confidence in you and with certain procedures that you've done each piece, each piece. Now, the scary part is, yeah, when you're an attending for the first time and it's all on you. So if something goes wrong, you don't have your attending around. And um, fortunately, how my fellowship was run, uh, I went to Kaiser San Diego for a sports fellowship where... Essentially, it was you were doing your own practice. It was a really novel way to do a fellowship. You see your own patients, and there's always an attending around. You book them yourself, and then when you go to surgery, the the attendings are there, but you're doing it. And then kind of the same thing. If you need help, they're there to hold your hand and do this and that. And then you kind of graduate out to where they have confidence in you. They're kind of like next door and stuff like that. So I was fortunate where I never just got – dropped without training wheels i had training wheels along the way but and it's it's very progressive it's almost to the point like where i can't even think back of oh my god i just got dropped in here i'm scared this you know that's just what training's for um so that was that part of the question and then 
where am I at now? Now it's, um, God, I'm showing my age, but I feel like I've been doing shoulder surgery and I'm like 80% shoulders at this point and, you know, 20% knees that, um, you do something frequent enough, it kind of becomes routine, but it's still always a patient. It's always a person. So you're always a little bit uncomfortable that you want to do the best that you can, but then you get these monster disaster cases. And that's when you actually have to sometimes pre-read or do research or maybe even go do a lab and practice a technique. But some patients take a lot more effort for you to be ready at the same level than more of a standardized case. So the older and the more you do it, it's the less and the less that those big cases give you anxiety, but at no point will you ever not be anxious in a sense. So that's kind of the feel of it now for me when I step into your OR. Yeah, and I, I had gotten a firsthand glimpse at watching Dr. Pfeiffer operate. And who are some of the people that are with you in the OR that really help you? Or just, you know, obviously you're the one that's doing the surgery. You're the one that's making the decisions. But in order for you to do surgery properly, who do you sort of lean on in, in some ways in yeah. the OR? So uh, it's, I think uh, Josh was leading into it, but essentially an OR is a team. And I would say that, you know, with a football background, you're the surgeon's the quarterback. Like, whatever I say goes, it's my responsibility of what's going on with the patient. But when you're in there, a quarterback just can't go on the field and score touchdowns. He needs his lineman. He needs his running back. He needs his receivers. You know, everybody. So in addition to me, um, the surgeon, there is an anesthesiologist, which is another doctor that puts the patient to sleep because... I always tell people it's hard to do surgery with a, a, a moving target. So it's always good when they're not moving and asleep. And then there is something called a scrub nurse or scrub tech. And they're the ones that are scrubbed in and sterile and they're handing me the instruments I need. Uh, sometimes there's first assists where, especially with bigger procedures, you only have two hands and sometimes you need four or five to retract or do this and that. So sometimes there's an extra person scrubbed in as well with you. And then there's a circulating nurse. And the circulating nurse is um, a person that is not sterile, so they can run around the room, grab implants, open them up, uh, change you know the volume on the radio, change the settings on your, your towers or whatever you're doing. So that's kind of the team within the OR, and you have to be able to be the quarterback and manage that team um, efficiently to be successful. So, yeah. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit. I know you love surgery, but I also know that you always keep yourself educated. Whenever something new comes out, you're always researching a technique or a procedure. And I also know that you go to these conferences and you give talks. How does that affect your daily job? And why do you do stuff like that? Why do you, uh, I know, I know, you know, most surgeons probably do keep their education up, but it seems like you go above and beyond to continue to maintain a standard of excellence, even with changing technology or changing techniques, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of a good way of how uh, an emphasis is on when you're a doctor and you go through med school and residency and fellowship, you're never done learning. There is always something new coming out, a new medication, a new surgical technique that in order to be the best at what you do and to help people, you should be able to know what is the best medicine. So that means keeping up on reading the journals that you're interested in. So for me, it's a lot of shoulder elbow surgery and 
knee surgery in sports, but even those journals sometimes can be a little outdated just because research takes so long. Uh, another thing is industry. So industry is obviously a little biased and they want you to use their parts, but they're the ones making the parts. So they normally do pretty good as far as educating doctors. And then for me personally, I just always try and be better every day, no matter what. I always just want to be better than I was before. And that's kind of my drive is I want to be better and I want to do whatever is best for my patients to fix them, heal them, get them back to life as fast as I can. So I also, you know, I like to lecture. Um, I get, you know, chosen to be expert in this and expert in that for certain things. But when I go to these meetings, I'm surrounded by a bunch of other experts. And every time I go somewhere, I learn so much more from the other doctors that have been doing it longer than me or happen to do things differently that I can gleam off. So I think continuing to be active with reading, education, and your peers and other people that do what you do is just a good proactive way to continue to hone your craft. And not all doctors do that. I know, you know, some people kind of get stuck in their ways, but I just never want to be one of those. And I would say the majority of surgeons do keep it up. So it's a good way to be. That's excellent. I kind of want to transition into hearing about your advice for someone like myself. There are a bunch of people, probably like me, not a lot, but who are really interested in orthopedics, and this is what the podcast is for. Yeah. What types of advice would you give them as they begin their journey to medical school, or they could be in medical school right now, just thinking about orthopedic surgery? Are there any tips that you found really helpful that you can just recall that might be a benefit to them? Yeah, of course. Um, of course, research everything, immerse yourself in everything, and kind of let it be your path as far as you think you're going to do orthopedics, orthopedics, but then, hey, you decide you like emergency medicine, you know, go that way. Just follow your gut and your heart. Um, really do what you're doing, Josh. Research it. Talk to guys like me. Go into the OR. Follow people around in the office. Listen to us gab and say this is awesome and complain about other things and just really um, read up and learn kind of what you think you like and if what you get yourself into is really it. Now, actually, what I tell everybody, and I've told you this and everyone that even rotates with me is, and I brought this up before, that medicine isn't something you're going to get rich off of. You don't want to go into it for money, but I think the stress of insurance and money and the cost of medical school, I'm, I'm 10 years out and I'm still paying off my medical school bills, which are way beyond, you know, multiple six figures. Um, and that is with, you know, a football scholarship. So this biggest stress for a lot of us is just money. So when we're training in science and med school, there's a very, very low amount of information that's given to us about basic money handling, percentages, credit, loans. So my number one advice to everybody really doesn't have to do with medicine is start reading about that stuff. And I have no, you know, you know, bias here, but I started uh, listening to the White Coat Investor podcasts and I started about getting books written by doctors on how to handle your finances and uh, save money. It's for you. It's for your family. And more than anything, it's a peace of mind and less stress that you deal with because we're trained to take care of people to be scientists and very few of us have a good business sense. But when you're thrown on a residency and fellowship, it's like that is a, so much more of a stress than actually taking care of your patients because that stuff kind of comes easy. It's what you like. 
So start reading the White Coat Investor, listen to podcasts, grab a bunch of like basic books and go from there. And I recommend starting early med school because even if you start planning your loans around then, it's just a huge, um, you know, lack of heartache in the future. So there you go. Being financially smart <laughs> is always a good tip for any profession. But I think, you know, that is one thing that you sort of lose when you're thinking about orthopedics is you can be, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. You know, I don't really need to think about the business side of things. But in reality, they go hand in hand. And it used to be that way because mm -hmm. uh, back, you know, in previous times, we uh, per inflation and cost of living, doctors used to do really well. I mean, but now we're not like it used to be. But even though that stigma is still there, I mean, most of the surgeons I know are still just grinding like anyone else, like a, a plumber, or, you know, like someone that's going to come and fix your house where, uh, you know, it's a definitely a different level. And it's part of like the, the stigma that comes with being a doctor. And that's one of them that you're going to really make a lot of money. And it just really isn't the case, especially these days. Definitely. I want to talk about you now. I want to talk about your personal life. So I'm just going to throw out a scenario here. You've done a long day of surgery. You did excellent on all of your cases, I'm sure. And you're just ready to kind of get some sort of an, an, an escape per se. You know, obviously you love surgery, but yeah. what are some of the activities or hobbies that you have time to pursue or that you are allowed to pursue in your free time, even though you're still an orthopedic surgeon? Yeah. So um, uh, I'm married now with essentially uh, four kids in my household. So before that happened, you had a lot more time. So <laughs> it's always plus or minus like pre-family, post-family. And families are amazing. And once you have the kids, like there's just you love your kids. There's that biological drive to always be around them. Um, just if I'm taking a personal selfish look at stuff, um, I think the things that I do outside of medicine or things that I really enjoy in ways to essentially de-stress or decompress. So for me, that's always been athletics, working out. Um, if I'm done with a hard day of surgery, even though I'm kind of mentally exhausted, if I hit the gym or go on a run or a mountain bike ride or even a hike with my kids, I try and stay active that way. Um, so that's always good. You know, and you have to find special times that you spend with your friends and your family and make times, you know, for your friends, go out, have a beer and a drink or see a movie where you don't, you know, have to think about the stress of the day. So um, another point about that is I, I just try and essentially keep work at work and then completely let it be as much as I can uh, when I'm outside of work. And I think that's kind of my yin and yang. So that's it for me at this point. Yeah. Following up with that, I just want to hear your thoughts on the importance of stepping away from orthopedics and enjoying, you know, a vacation per se. Do you attempt to vacation often or is it some, is it a priority that you make? Do you go, you know, do you have time to go and, and, and say you want to go to Hawaii? Do you do stuff like that? Yeah. So kind of the, the, private practice thing is if I technically wanted to go on a vacation every month, I could, you know, financially that doesn't really work because when you're in private practice, if you're not there, you're not making money to pay your bills and your overhead. So um, I've kind of found it where a lot of times where these conferences are, for example, I was just down in um, a really awesome new shoulder course called Shoulder 360 and it was in South Beach, Miami, Florida. So 
um, left the kids at home, brought the wife, and I went to a, actually a pretty good portion of the lecture. But it also, even though we were talking ortho, it felt like a vacation. So that's kind of a nice way to transition it. But yeah, I definitely at least, I try and go somewhere with the fam like once every three or four months. Uh, and it's all part of not burning out and not getting stressed out because it's not a desk job. You have people's, you know, well-beings at stake. You know, you really, if something goes not the way you want it to, like most of us emotionally, you think about it at night and you carry the burden of everything that you're doing, especially when it's all on you. Um, a classic example is one orthopedic surgeon I know that retired literally said, after I retired, it took eight months of me just chilling and not doing anything before I wasn't like anxious or worried about what's going on with my patients or my practice. So it almost took this guy a year to decompress. So yeah, I do think it's very important and I do try as much as possible while still maintaining a successful practice. That is all I have for you today. Uh, thank you so much. Dr. Pfeiffer is one of the best surgeons in the area, in my opinion, obviously I'm biased, but he really does a great job with his patients. And hopefully when I become an orthopedic surgeon one day, I can model my practice, model my style after Dr. Pfeiffer. And so I just want to personally thank you. Um, and I can't wait for what is to come in both of our futures. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for having me, bud. That's it for this episode, you guys, on So You Want to Be an Orthopedic Surgeon.